This is episode 13 of the Lumbar Trucking Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Before I begin, I want to wish a happy Texas Independence Day to all my fellow Texans. Today in 1836, Texas officially declares its independence from Mexico, being then known as the sovereign nation, the Republic of Texas. So shout out to all my fellow Texans. My family and I have been here for less than two years, and we have been given so much. Started a great career, purchased a home, which is on some land that we also own. Hopefully one day have some children that will be very proud to say that they're from Texas. And also, also, hopefully one day very soon, the reestablishment of a once old business known as Lombard Trucking. And we'll get there. And I'll be taking you all with me. Before I get rolling, make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast. Throw me some five stars out there. If you're on Apple, leave me a solid review. It really helps with all those algorithms out there. Really trying to grow this thing, getting the word out there to just people who want to talk to another truck driver. So if you have a friend out there who's a driver, if you know anybody in the transportation industry, that's brokers, dispatchers, whomever, uh, send it their way. I'm sure some people out there who work in transportation and logistics would appreciate listening to things from the side of the driver because they're not really out there over the road with them. So uh, spread the word. Spread the word, man. Lombard Trucking, LT. Let's get it going. So when I last left you off, I was in Dallas. I was dropping off at the Trader Joe's warehouse. And successful delivery there the next day. Actually, I showed up early, hour early, and was turned away because I was an hour early. was told to come back. Came back, and there was a line at the gate. Awesome, which is precisely why I showed up early to begin with because a lot of those big-name distributors will have long lines for trucks waiting to go in. I finally get there. I'm given the door number, right? I get to the gate guard. I uploaded this process on YouTube, by the way sure to go check out my YouTube channel, Lombard Trucking. Uh, I recorded the whole delivery process down there in Irving. And the woman at the gate, now normally when this happens, when you give them the, your paperwork, they call inside, and then she goes ahead, gives me my paperwork back. She tells me to break the seal, open up the door, slide the tandems of my tires back, back up to door 42. They give you the door at the gate. Normally, that's all you need to do. I was not told to do anything else. I back up to the door. I'm there for 45 minutes. Light still hasn't turned red, meaning they haven't started. And I'm confused. Finally, I see a guy get out of his truck, and he walks over a couple doors down, and I couldn't see it because there was a trailer next to me of an office. I'm like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? So I get out. I go to the office. I go inside with the paperwork. It's like, hey, I'm at door 42. They were like, oh, our yard dog was trying to find you. I was like, find me? I was, I was like, I'm at the door that I was told to go in. Whatever. Easy money. Give them the paperwork. They give it back. I get back there. Five minutes later, light turns red. I start getting unloaded. We're off. I'm headed back home, like I told you, where I was set to run the awesome marathon that weekend. And like I had mentioned at the end of the podcast, 
I did run the marathon and I did complete it. And I did not crawl to the finish line. I actually successfully ran to the finish line. I didn't walk at all during the marathon except for the parts where you're able to, at water stations, where they're able to give you some water. I would just like start to fast walk and then drink the little electrolyte drinks of water. I did stop and pee probably every three miles. They had Porta John set up, so I was just running the Porta John, get out. So the marathon started. I was ner- I was nervous. I'm not gonna lie, because I've done long runs before. The longest I've ever ran has been a half marathon. I've never done anything beyond that. In the Marine Corps, I've gone on hikes longer than 13 miles, as far as I can remember they were. But I've never physically ran longer than 13 miles. So I remember I was like, should I retie my shoes? Are they too tight? Are they too loose? Mind you, I was doing this with a friend and my friend's wife, but she was only doing the first half. So for the first half, we all started together, the three of us. And I remember as we were starting, I was like, ah, are my, are my laces too loose? Are they too tight? Should I stop and retighten them? When you first start off, it's like it goes in waves. So it's like a huge crowd, and there's really no way to do it. And it's a really slow trot to kick it off. So if you stop, you're gonna, somebody's going to barrel right over the top of you. But I just kept going, and I stayed on pace with them for, I want to say, the first six miles. And then that's when I had to pee. I was very, very hydrated, and I carb-loaded days leading up to it. I made sure I was physically prepped for this. So I think it was like mile five, mile six. I was like, I really got to pee. I can't hold it. And then from there, it's kind of like when you go out for a night of drinking. I broke the seal, and it was probably every three or four miles I was peeing. Heavy stream, too. I mean, I couldn't help it. I was very, very hydrated at not... Not one point during the entire race that I feel dehydrated. I did feel, I, I, I kind of got a little worried because at mile seven, I saw this woman, she went down. She was on a gurney getting loaded by EMTs. I was like, oh shit. But I kept going and I can tell you the easiest part was the first 13 miles. I wasn't even, at the end of the, by the time we got to the split, the half marathon goes to the right towards the Texas State Capitol. The full marathon keeps on going straight. It's a really cool course, uh, by the way. You can look up the map online. You really get a tour of the whole city. You get to see so much. It's very scenic. There's live music throughout the way. There's so many people out cheering, especially from the apartment buildings. It's awesome. The atmosphere is really what definitely keeps you going. Once that split happens, I remember I wasn't even tired. I was feeling really good. And then after that split, crowd gets a lot smaller because there's like thousands and thousands of people running the half a lot of people walking it people doing it with friends it's there's a large group that's when it's like really you're feeding off a lot of energy and then when you get to that split it gets quiet you can hear a pin drop and you get to mile 14 and you're still feeling good you start and you start feeling pretty good and and then you start you start feeling the inflammation I really started feeling it probably a mile 16, where I just felt like, almost like my legs were started to fill with concrete. But you keep going, because you're like, it's you're at 16, it's 10 left. You're just about in the single digits, and that's kind of how you're, you're you're going for you. It's you're thinking from water station to water station at this point. 
and that's where your head's at. And I remember for about a mile, I was cruising with this one kid when we were going through the probably the UT area, Boston. It's about mile 15, past 16 a little bit. We were chatting. We were trying to hype each other up, talking. He eventually had to take a break. I No foul on it. He was a good guy, though. It, he had his head in the game. I hope he finished. I was I was hoping we were gonna like keep each other going forever, but he's like, oh man, I got I got to stretch it out. I was like, all right. So I keep going, and everybody I know who's ran a marathon said this. They said this is when it really kicks in. It's mile 18. Mile 18 is the wall, and that is in fact the wall. That's when you hit it because when you see 18, you're just like, fuck. You've done so much. You can't believe that there's that much more to go. There's still another eight to go. The key, it's all, it, in, it sounds crazy to say it from this point of view, from after the finish line, but it is in your head. I have a friend of mine who ran cross country in college. Uh, he went to Springfield College. And he had told me a great, great quote. I forget who originally said it, but he told me that when your when your legs give out, you still have your brain. And I just kept thinking about that over and over. And I just kept moving. When I would get to the water station, I'd pound the water, and everyone's very encouraging there. And I would take a piss, do the Dak Prescott, kick my legs up high, make sure my make sure I'm still limber, and just keep going. And keep going. And I wasn't alone. I do not want to forget this. I had my wife and friends at mile 12 rooting for me, but that's when I was still chipper. But they were there right before mile 26. They were at mile 24, 25, waiting for me. My other good friend, my best friend, Trina Burtz, like I said, go check out her YouTube youtube.com slash Trina Burks for all your woodworking. She was there ready to film the whole thing. And I was, and like I said, at this point, yeah, my legs are straight up concrete. It feels like I'm moving fucking bricks. Uh, it's wild. I've never, I've never like felt that before in my life. Like talking the back of my knees, feeling like just straight concrete. And then she's there the whole way ready to just film this whole thing. As I'm going, so I, I got to start looking like I'm not tired. And uh, you're right. Those last two miles is when I think some more endorphins kick in. And that's, it, 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 you're almost numb at that point. And you do, and this is a, this, this course actually has a little bit of hills. I'm not even, it's not just flat the whole way. There are a couple inclines, one steep hill before the end of the half marathon and then there's another good hill at the end before you're rounding it back out to the texas capital you go up it and at the top is mile 26 and you come right down bang the left zoom across the finish line on congress in front of the state capitol and what a feeling it is to have finally done that to do something where even a year ago, uh, it's impossible. Uh, it was in my head, impossible. There's no way. 
And I remember when I started running, I was taking it seriously in the summer of 2020. Now, I had already been on a fitness journey at this point. Like I had mentioned in previous episodes, I really started turning it around after my good friend passed away in 2018, Matt Brown. And I was engaged, getting ready for, you know, to get married, trying to get the, the body to look good. So I was already on a fitness journey. And then I start taking running seriously in summer 2020 because I'm know, I know I'm getting behind the wheel of the truck. I don't have the Peloton anymore. I could just hop on. I can't, you know, I didn't know at the time about taking my road bike with me. And I was going with my instructor anyway, so I couldn't take the bike. I now have my road bike with me. It sits, it sits shotgun, which is awesome. So, but I didn't know because I was new to trucking. I didn't know how my workout schedule would be. But I didn't know that I was running off e-logs, and I knew you had to have 10-hour breaks to reset that clock. And running's free, and you could do it anywhere. All you need is a pair of shoes. So I started taking running seriously, and I was just doing three miles around our apartment complex. Easy, easy, three miles, just racking it up. And within like two weeks, you really rack up the endurance quick. You know, then I'm doing a couple more laps, and I'm just doing six miles, four times a week, banging out six miles. That endurance really picks up quick. Even then, though, I was like, impossible. I ran my first half marathon Thanksgiving of 2020. And even after that, I said, impossible. There is no way. I just don't think I'm built for it. I don't know if my body can take it. Then I read the Goggins book. And I know some people will be like, oh, man, yeah, he's a little too much and stuff like that. But is he? Is he wrong? I did exactly what he what he says in the book. I just took control of my mind. And I convinced myself that I could do it. And that's what people really need to do, is convince themselves they can do it. Once you have it in your head that you cannot fail, you will not fail. And so on February 20th, I did not fail. I crossed that finish line. And then we all went out after and had a bunch of beers in downtown Austin and on Rainy Street and had a blast. I couldn't believe it. I never knew a day like that would come. And now I'm looking forward to the next one. I already had the next one booked before I ran the first one. That's the level of confidence I had in this. That's how much I know that I will not fail. And even if I do fail, I fail by falling forward into the next thing, into the next day, into the next opportunity. It does not matter. Because the only way you are going to succeed is by continuously failing. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. All that is is just practice. All failures are is just good practice. At the end of the day, because what are you going to do? Go backwards? What else you got? There's nothing else you could do. You fail, you just keep going. It's a big deal. You start a business that fails, try again. Get another job, stack up, keep going. What, what else do you? What else do we got? But I can keep going on about this for for some time, so I I might as well 
cut it cut it short. Let's bring it back between the uh, white dotted lines real quick, and let's run you back up to speed and uh, fill you in on my journey after the marathon, which is just something I'm damn proud of. And uh, if you're if you want to ever do a running event with me, reach out. I'd love to sign up for one with you, and I'll finesse a way to take a load up to that event and. Uh, park my truck and we'll go do the event. I'd love to do it. I'm trying to do them all around the country. So anyways, after the marathon, where did I go from there? I took Monday off and I hit the road again on Tuesday. I roll out early Tuesday. Actually, not that early. Kind of slept in a little bit. But per the kind of the way the schedule I had set up, was it didn't it kind of didn't matter when I left. So I left at 7 a.m. I was supposed to go swap trailers in Waco, drop my empty, grab a loaded one, head back up to Gravit, Arkansas. I get a phone call as I'm coming up on Waco from dispatch. They said, hey, we're tracking a load coming out of Houston. It's paying real well pull over and we're going to see if we can get this. And I said, all right. <laughs> so I pull into the pilot over there in Waco right off 35, get the phone call about 10 minutes later. I'm going to pick up a load and I'm going to get loaded in Houston. That's going up to Stillwater, Oklahoma. Whatever, even though I started my clock, it didn't really matter. It didn't need to be there till the next day. No worries. I get down there to Houston before I get there actually no this was after I got loaded so I got loaded that was actually really quick I was in and out of there probably from check-in probably less than 90 minutes easy day I leave as I'm going up I-45 now headed towards Dallas Fort Worth to get up towards Stillwater I noticed my uh, on my driver's side door Windows won't roll down, and I can't adjust the mirrors. Ah, shit. So I call. It could be either a fuse, or they just need to replace the little mechanism in the door. It's no worries, because I'm going to get... I'll be up in Stillwater. I could just get on 412 and head right back to northwest Arkansas from there. So that was... That didn't really didn't matter, except it mattered the next day. So I drive up 45. I park in some uh, no-name town in Texas maybe about 80 miles south of Dallas. Wake up the next morning, roll as usual. I actually left pretty early. I think I left around 3, 3.30 in the morning. I'm driving up north. I get to, I'm trying to make my way to 35. So for 45, you head up, you get on 75 for a second, and then you get on 35, back up towards OKC. I get north of Fort Worth. And all of a sudden, everyone's slowing down, going 30 miles an hour. And I'm like, oh, shit. Here we fucking go. Yep. I looked down. I didn't even realize it was that cold. It's fucking 25 degrees out, and there's ice, and you can't see it. Because by this time, it's getting close to 5 in the morning, and all these cars are slowing down. I'm seeing cars pulling over. So I slow down to 30, and I'm driving. And I can feel the tractor slip a little bit. And then that's when I'm like, oh, shit fucking kidding me but I, I just stay at 30 i don't go above 30 miles an hour from fort worth all the way to oklahoma city it sucked 
And then it, the snow started coming down and the roads started getting covered. And I'm like, here we go. This is like my third or fourth goddamn snowstorm that I've driven through this year. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, I just want to fucking drive. It sucks when that weather slows you down because you're not getting miles. Because when you're pay- when you get paid by the mile, it's eating into your paycheck. But I was smart. I was safe. I just drove. I literally drove almost eight hours straight. Finally got to a Love's. Had some lunch. I had chilled for about an hour. And then Stillwater is like northeast of OKC. I get to the delivery. They haven't even plowed their lot at all. But it was fine. The snow accumulation, it wasn't much. But it still was kind of icy on their lot. I get back. They actually couldn't get me at a regular door. Oh, sorry. Actually, what they did was they got me into a door. And then I couldn't pull back out because it was on a slope. And then they had to put stuff back in so there was weight on my tractor tires. I then was able to pull out because I had some weight on them. And then I had to back up to a garage door where they somebody got in the back with a pallet jack and they forklifted the rest of the stuff out. It was kind of nonsense, but they were very understanding. They were they were glad that I even made the delivery. They were like, holy shit, we didn't, we didn't think that this was going to show up today. And I was like, oh, well, they called the right guy. No, I'm just kidding. So I leave from there, and what I was supposed to do, because I needed to go back and get my window fixed, was I was going to go get some Walmart self-checkouts from OK, right outside OKC, and then bring them back to Northwest Arkansas. But that same storm that came through uh, Fort Worth and Dallas and Oklahoma rolled through Northwest Arkansas. So I'm texting my dispatch. I was like, hey, what's the address of the store? He goes, oh, we all got sent home for the day because of the weather. Just head back towards Gravit. And uh, come get your truck looked at and fixed. So I was like, oh, okay. So I start driving on US 412 East. I get to a Walmart right outside Tulsa. They got truck parking. There was probably four other trucks there. We just pull up little makeshift parking spots. Easy in, easy out. Park there for the night. I thought the next day the roads would be better. They weren't. I don't know what it is. Look, I know it, you could technically call Oklahoma and parts of Texas the South or the west but at least in oklahoma texas i know they don't get as much ice maybe in lubbock and plainview they do because it's higher it's very cold up there i understand dallas down to san antonio they're not used to this a lot but in oklahoma you get ice when i was at artillery school in fort sill oklahoma in 2009 big ice storm in lawton oklahoma i'll never forget watching the this gunny get out of his truck and and did the, he had he got decleated both boots up in the air fell right on his ass like so Oklahoma gets ice this isn't something new so I don't know what they do there with their tax dollars or their revenues from alcohol or whatever the fuck wherever the fuck it comes from but you got to get your shit together Oklahoma and they're still dumping sand on the roads dumping fucking sand. It doesn't even do shit. Like, I'm behind these uh, tr- these plows, and they're just spraying sand. Like, that's doing something. Whatever. That's Oklahoma DOT. If you hear this, take the fucking hint, okay? But the roads did progressively get better the closer I got to Arkansas. I get there. It was a simple fuse. Easy day. 
I was there for maybe an hour while they just replaced the mechanism. And then we figured out a plan with my dispatch and what I was going to do. I was going to take an empty swap it at McKee Foods with a loaded one. I believe I've mentioned it in prior episodes. McKee Foods is where a lot of the Little Debbie's products are made. They're a customer of ours. We'll take those out. We'll take those trailers out to College Dale, Tennessee, which is just east, southeast of Chattanooga, Tennessee. So that was my plan. Do that. Swap trailers at McKee. I head east. I parked in Tennessee. Somewhere in Tennessee. Where was I? Oh, no. I parked somewhere in Arkansas that night. It's not really a big deal. Did my 10. Moved back east. Kept going. Made the delivery. And then from there, it was up in the air. I was either going to go pick up some self-checkout from Florida. I didn't really know yet. Once I uh, swapped trailers, got an empty, I got word. My next load, I was getting loaded in Dalton, Georgia, full of stuff that I think, like, I think it gets made with flooring, some sort of flooring material that gets made into tiles. I, I don't know. It was going to some company called M-A-P-E-I-I, I believe. That's who was receiving the load that I was getting loaded with. So I get loaded in Dalton, Georgia. That's going to Tempe, Arizona. Awesome miles. Geese are rolling over the weekend. And I love that route that I take. Now, the GPS tried telling me to take I-40. Now, I've done I-40 enough in this wintertime now to know that it's a fucking clusterfuck out there in Oklahoma and New Mexico. And that high elevation, it's goddamn zero degrees out there in New Mexico. So I'm like, nope. The difference in distance is like all of 30 miles between taking 20 to 10 as opposed to getting back on 40 and taking 40 all the way to Flagstaff and then 17 down to Phoenix and Mesa Tempe area. Not only that, just so you know, when you do go from Flagstaff south to Phoenix, if you're a truck driver, that is, and you haven't been down it, it'll take you forever because it's no, it's constantly up and down mountains. It is fucking brutal. Like 60 miles or something or 70 miles will take you two fucking hours going from Flagstaff down to Phoenix. It's a goddamn nightmare. Going 35 miles an hour up a hill. Got to go 35 miles an hour down to 6% grade. It's a goddamn, it, it adds time to your trip. So I knew taking 10 would be the faster route. If you're going through West Texas, my truck governs at 72. The speed limit's 85. Everybody is moving. I was making really great time getting out there. As a matter of fact, I hit a record of miles driven in a day. Previous record was 700. I cracked 701 on Sunday. It's another accomplishment I was proud of because this delivery was kind of tough. I was loaded Friday, leaving the parking lot at 3 p.m. It needed to be delivered 1,833 miles away Monday morning at 8 a.m. I kind of did the math on the hours, but you figure... I need to take 10-hour breaks. I can only drive 11 hours a day in a 14-hour window. So there's 20 hours I can't drive. It only leaves me with 40-some-odd hours to get there. You got to finesse. You got to sacrifice. You got to wake up early and do it and shut down early so you know you have enough time. But I ended up being an hour early for that delivery. Monday morning, showed up at 7. 
And then from there was the decision I had to make regarding my 70-hour clock. So dispatch calls me. We got self-checkouts to pick up at a Walmart in Tucson, which is about 100 miles southeast of Tempe, but it's on I-10. But I'm low on my 70. I got seven hours left, and I'm not even going to recap any hours Monday, uh, Monday at midnight because I started driving on Tuesday, so I couldn't recap. So I told my dispatch, hey, look, I can either drive five hours Tuesday and then get more hours Wednesday, and I'm going home anyways since I'm going back to Texas, or hey, I'm going to just take the day off and do a 34 in Tucson. He's like, hey, man, it doesn't really matter because, you know, you're going home this weekend anyways. There's no timeline. You've got self-checkouts that are coming back here. Do whatever you want. That's another great thing about this company is you run into times like that where if you're on a self-checkout load, they told me all the time, like, oh, if you're coming from Johnstown, stop in Niagara Falls, go check it out. You know, you can make, you know, they're your miles. It's your paycheck at the end of the day. Like, if you don't want to drive that many miles, like, it's, it's, it's your paycheck. So it's like, Sometimes if, if you finesse it right and you know you could do it, I'll take the time. So I took the day off basically on Tuesday, yesterday, and I spent all day biking and hiking around Tucson. They, at Tucson, very bike-friendly city, by the way, if you're there. They got paved green belts, awesome paths to go explore around. There's, I mean, this city, they've got mountains in the distance. So I was like, I need to go to one of those mountains. I'm going to try to climb one of these mountains. I find one on Google Maps, easy biking route to get to. I do 24 miles of bike and I get to a path. And then I see that this this hiking path is actually, you're hiking uh, the canyon. So there's no way up because it's very steep, full of cactuses, cacti, sorry. But you can go along this river, this canyon, and it's about four miles from where you I park my bike out to these waterfalls and man it is gorgeous euphoric Arizona gotta be a top state for aesthetics let me tell you it'll make you fall right in love with America all over again it was gorgeous going out there everybody along the way is so nice saying hey leaving me space I did I recorded the whole thing I'm looking to get it all uploaded onto YouTube very soon it is gorgeous out there. You get out to the waterfalls. There's a couple pools, like almost like in steps, one above the other, because it's called Seven Falls, I believe, is the area you go to. And you could jump right in the water, and the water's like not even 50 degrees. And it was 80 degrees out, hot, no clouds, dry heat, get plenty of sun. By the time you get there, you're sweating bullets. You jump in that water, it's crisp and refreshing. It was awesome just sit and hang out. Almost like I was on a little mini vacation. It was awesome. I, But all things come to an end. I know I need to be up early because I'm going to start driving. I want to make my way back home. I'm trying to get home early Thursday. Hang out. Got a tattoo appointment on Sunday. Starting up the left arm. So I hike back. I do another. It's 17 miles from the hiking back. So I did a total of 42 miles biking. Seven and a half miles hiking. Awesome day. You, you couldn't ask for anything better. I say it at the end of the YouTube video, but if you're a driver out there, take advantage of those moments on your resets. Bring your bike with you. Keep yourself healthy so you can go and do and see 
all the, the awesome places we get to drive to. Also, if you're a non-driver, that is not my every day. You know, those opportunities come every so often. You got to take advantage of it when you can. So that brings you up to speed where I am. I am in Ozona, Texas right now, parked for the night, recording. I'll be home tomorrow. And that brings you up to the same mile marker as me. But what else is on my mind? You know, I've been mentioning in episodes about social media and the social dilemma, how we need to change how we use social media, putting more positivity out there, removing the toxicity of social media platforms, realizing who we are giving platforms to that are causing this. And I had this thought out there when I was on my hike and bike trip. And it's funny, these thoughts always come to you when you're out in nature and when you're by yourself. Now, don't get me wrong, I do a lot of critical thinking while I'm driving too and having conversations with myself. But at the end of the day, you got to pay attention out here. You know, you can't just be off in fucking La La Land. But you could be out in La La Land when you're hiking canyons in Tucson, Arizona. So I thought about this and I put it up on Instagram, like as a story, when I was done. And I thought about this because I was out in nature and I was thinking, you know, I'm somebody who likes the planet. I don't like pollution. You know, I think we should take better steps in taking care of the environment and uh, assuring that, you know, our children and grandchildren have a nice future here where they're not melting or freezing to death, what have you. So that has to do with what we put out in the environment. So like the truck I drive, this so to make trucks and tractor trailers better for the environment, we've started to use biodiesel fuel. We've added diesel exhaust systems to these trucks. And they use diesel exhaust fluid, which helps burn the biodiesel fuel better and cleaner for the environment. And you're releasing less carbon, so the emissions of these trucks are cleaner. So there's things companies and people are doing right now to make the environment better. That's great. Same thing applies to social media. So what we put into social media is only what we are going to get back in return. So if we constantly keep putting more and more toxicity into social media and retweeting it and continuously giving that a platform, what is the return you're going to get is a toxic environment. So for example, if you take raw sewage and dump it in the river, would you then want to swim in that river? Do you want to drink from the water of that river if you keep dumping raw sewage into the river? No. We need to stop dumping raw sewage into social media. And I'm talking, that means stop retweeting Tucker Carlson. Stop retweeting Rachel Maddow. Stop retweeting all of these people who do nothing but constantly gaslight each other and cause a continental divide between Americans. Because that's what we're doing. And I'm somebody who is at fault of doing this. I was shaking my fist in 2016 during the election because I was so mad. But I didn't realize that that's what I was doing. I thought I was just, you know, voicing my opinion. But it, it gets, it gets, you know, uh, co- you know, convoluted in all of the miscommunication. It's just, because if you think about it, if these people were not on Twitter and were speaking in real life, 
You think they'd be talking to each other that way? I doubt it. And I would appreciate it if nobody comes at me about, well, that means we shouldn't have political discourse. No, I'm not saying that. You know the exact type of discourse I'm talking about, the exact type of very conflicted, heated exchanges I'm talking about on the Internet. The very, the very idea that if people aren't voicing their opinions, it means they're complicit in what you are against. That is not true. That is such an atrocious way to think about people that are human beings. We can have those conversations. You want to have discourse with somebody? Guess what? Maybe the internet isn't the best place to do it all the time. That's all. Have it in person. Have each other on. Have a. I have a podcast. Come on, let's talk. Me and you, voice to voice. Like we could talk like humans. We need to get back to that. So not to get off on a on another tangent, but just go back to what I was saying. Think of it like the environment. You know that dumping raw sewage in the river is bad. Think about what you're dumping onto the internet. Think about who else is dumping stuff onto the internet. And if you are giving them a platform, ask yourself, is that helping? Do you think the world is becoming a better place with the more boosting of these types of narratives keep getting out there or is it simply destroying the environment just something to think about like i said you don't have to agree with me please like i said we could always talk about it i'd love to have this conversation with anybody but like i said that's just some stuff that's been on my mind i know i'm going a little long and once again i do want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time out and listening. If you haven't yet, go check out my YouTube channel. I'm trying to keep it keep it interesting, keeping it fun, put a little video to the voice, so to speak, track a little bit more of my career as I'm going forward. I'm having fun while doing it. Uh, so go check, uh, check out the YouTube, hit subscribe, like the videos, drop some comments on there. It helps with the YouTube algorithms. Once again, if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to. Throw me some five stars if you can. But other than that, that's all I got for episode 13. And as always, if you ever want to talk, I'll be here.